Well, my family and I were in uh, South Carolina last year, and we decided to visit Ripley's Aquarium. I was making my way to the counter, and I was checking out the prices of admission. It was $22 for adults, and it was $11 for children 11 and under. So there was me, my oldest daughter, Courtney, who was 17, her friend, who was 16, my daughter, Marissa, who was 12, and my son, Ethan, who actually turned seven while we was on the trip. So I kind of figured out the prices in my head, or my phone's calculator, actually. But I came to the conclusion it was going to cost $99 to get into this place. And I'm thinking, this is crazy, $99. This is way too much for, to, to see some fish. So then, a little light bulb, I started looking at my 12-year-old. There she is. You can see she loves her brother. And I started thinking, you know, she could save me $11. You know, I know it's not really being honest. It's just a small thing. It's not really that big of a deal. Surely I'm not the only person that's ever thought of that before. So we get to the counter, and I announce three adults, two children. This young college-looking guy kind of looks at us. He's kind of surveying my family. And he says, how old is she? And he points toward Marissa. I said, 11? And he starts typing this information into the computer to be printed out for a ticket. And I kind of breathed a sigh of relief and kind of proud that I had secured a small victory for fathers everywhere. And then all of a sudden, Marissa blurts out, Dad, I'm 12. Hello, do you really think that I'm 11? My birthday was November 14th, and I'm trying to be like... And she just keeps going, I can't believe you didn't know how old I am. And this counter guy just gives me this look of repulsion, like he was sick to be even in my general vicinity. And I could hear a guy behind me telling his wife, laughing, this guy just got busted. <laughs> Needless to say, I learned a very valuable lesson that day. You always have to make your kids aware beforehand when you're going to be dishonest. Now, I'm kidding about that, but I did realize that what we think are the smaller things that God seems to use to shape us the most. I mean, some of life's biggest lessons come in little ways like that. You know, I was so surprised last week that I got so much out of one single little small chapter in the Bible, Romans chapter 8. And for those of you who weren't here last week, Chris kicked off a three-week series called Inseparable. And it's a chapter that, as he talked about, has this fantastic verse at the end of it where it says that nothing else 
in creation will be able to separate us. That's where the series title comes from. Nothing will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. That's Romans 8, verse 38. Now there's a couple big ideas that we're going to be talking about today, and they're both in relation to that. And the first big idea, the first fill-in for today, the first big idea is God wants a relationship with you. God wants a relationship with you. And He wants it to be close. I mean, He wants it to be personal. He wants you to think about Him during the day. He would like a dialogue to go back and forth during the course of an average day. He wants you to trust Him for stuff. He wants you to draw on His strength for stuff. He wants to guide you away from bad things. So the first big idea is that God wants a relationship. And He's made it available through Christ. And He wants it to be with you inseparably. Now you probably start thinking about this though. And we know that God's not going to blow it on His end. We are probably going to blow it on ours. You know, we then we're not going to be able to enjoy this relationship. We're going to sin, and that's going to separate us from God. Now I'm going to give you four truths about this first big idea. And the first truth is that my sin cannot ultimately separate me from God. My sin... Now, Romans 8, verse 1 says, Yeah, you're going to sin. But there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And the idea here is that when you make a mistake, and you will make a mistake, you don't got to beat yourself up over it. When you sin, you apologize to God. You repent of it. You turn a new direction. You say you're sorry. You claim Christ's forgiveness. You grab God's hand and you move on. You learn your lesson and you move on. You know, you don't have to stay separated from God to prove that you're sorry. Well, then there's some folks who say, well, you know, I've been betrayed. I've been hurt and people have abandoned me. I'm going to lose hope somewhere along the way and that's what's going to separate me from God. And that's our second truth. My fear of abandonment cannot separate me from God. My fear of abandonment cannot separate me from God. So God says, okay, I'll handle that. I'll make a provision for you. Romans 8 verse 15 says, For you did not receive a spirit that makes you a slave again to fear, but you received the spirit of adoption. And by Him we cry, Abba, Father. Let me give you an illustration of this. My daughter Courtney went on a mission trip to Mexico with one of the teens last year. And I was secretly very worried about it because there had been so much violence, so much killings with the drug cartel and stuff there. I was unsure of allowing her to even go. I even called up one of the team leaders And I said, you have to guarantee me that you are going to keep a very close watch 
on my daughter. Because she can be rather naive at times. I mean, she's my little genius that thought it was a good idea to put a metal bowl in the microwave and almost burn our house down a few weeks ago. Anyways, I was assured that she was in very good hands, so I allowed her to go. Then I was worried when I found out that my girl, who's never been on an airplane before, was sitting next to our new worship leader, Derek, who she had a huge crush on, and she secretly referred to him as eye candy. Sorry, princess. Anyways, I told her that there was a certain time she was supposed to call me each night. It was like 7 o'clock or something. Well, 7 o'clock came, no call. So I'm getting worried. Finally, around 7.15, the phone rings, trying to sound like it's no big deal. I answer, hello? She says, hey, Dad. And just a sense of relief just washed over me. And I mean, I was just delighted to hear her voice. I was delighted to just speak to her for a few minutes and just see how the trip and the first day went. And just like that, every time you say to God, Hey, Dad. Hey, Father. It's just me checking in with you just thinking about you, just want to say hello. I want to have a brief conversation with you. And you know, God is delighted to hear your voice every time as I am to hear from my kids. As full as my heart gets, God gets fuller every time He hears your voice. Now you're like, okay, I get it. But I don't even pray that well. So I'm going to screw that up then. And this is our third truth. It's my weak prayer life cannot separate me from God. My weak prayer life cannot separate me from God. So again, God steps in. And in Romans 8 verse 26, in the same way the Spirit helps us in our weakness... We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit Himself intercedes for us with groans that words cannot express. You just do your best. You just do your best. Chris talked about this last week. God will understand. He can make sense of it. Just talk to Him. Now the fourth truth that I want to talk about is circumstances. Because circumstances cannot separate me from God. We talked about this classic promise in the Scriptures. And it's Romans 8, verse 28. And it says, And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love Him, who have been called according to His purpose. Now you say, well, I know what's going to happen. God wants us to be close and all that, okay? I get it. But something bad, something terrible is going to happen in my life, and I'm going to lose faith in God because of that. You know, I always hear people, 
And I've said this myself at times. Where's God in all of this? I mean, this terrible tragedy, this nightmare that happened. And again, Chris spoke of this last week. God doesn't spare you from every bad thing that might happen. But in it, He makes an incredible promise that even something terribly difficult for you, He will somehow redeem. I mean, He'll weave it into something that may be months, years, sometimes even decades from now. You'll look in the rearview mirror and you'll know that God used even that. He used even that for your good. And that's a promise. He will prove that promise out to you as time goes on. You know, I think of a night 16 months ago when my daughter woke me up at 3 in the morning crying to tell me she was pregnant. I mean, I fought anger. I fought sadness. I fought fear for her future. I even selfishly thought about myself. I thought, what are the people in the church going to think? I've already been divorced, and now I'm failing as a father. And you know what? No one was casting stones my direction. I mean, we had an outpouring of help and love. And I mean, I am forever indebted to all of you in this awesome church for the way that you've treated my family. And God redeemed all that. He didn't cause it to happen. When anything involves sin, He doesn't have His hands in the initial acts of it. But He turned it into something amazing. I mean, I have a granddaughter I love with all my heart. I have a daughter who's the best mother that I've ever seen. She stayed on the honor roll and she's starting Ball State in the fall. So remember that in your darkest moments, when you say you're losing closeness to God because of your circumstances, remind yourself that even even in that circumstance, God is working on your behalf to turn it into something good. So the first big idea is that God wants a relationship with you. Now today, we are going to look at another verse. This is Romans 8, verse 31. It says, if God is for us, who can be against us? Just a few words. Let's read it together. If God is for us, who can be against us? So this is our big idea number two. And it's that God is for you. God is for you. You know, this idea of God being for me is so central to your theology. I mean, you believing this changes everything about how you approach life. I mean, if you're going into a tough meeting at work and you're hoping you get it right, you're hoping you say the right things, relax. You know what? God is for you. God is for you in this. He wants you to do well. He wants you to do your best. He's going to help you. If you have have to have a tough talk with your teenager and you're thinking, man, these stakes are really high right now. I hope I don't screw this up. 
just remind yourself, God is for you in this situation. He's cheering you on. He's going to strengthen you. He's going to give you wisdom. He wants you to get this right. There's a terribly tempting temptation comes your way. And you're like, man, I hope I can fight this off. I do not want to fall to this again. God is for you in that moment. He's like, I don't want you to fall either. I am for you. We can handle this together. I'll give you the strength. And you know, if you could integrate this into every situation of your life, you would be amazed at the power that this would give you. I mean, every situation, God is for me. He's cheering me on. You know, one of the most um, colorful parables that Jesus ever told is in Luke 18. I'm going to be skimming this, so I, I think you should maybe write it down in your program and just read it later. But Jesus describes a judge, and he describes the judge quite graphically. He says, here's the thing you need to know about this judge. He doesn't honor God. He doesn't care about God. He doesn't respect people. So here's a judge who doesn't care about God, doesn't respect people, but he holds a lot of power. He can make decisions that affect people's lives. Now, the other main character in this parable is a widow. And in the day in which this parable was spoken, widows were mostly quite poor, disconnected, powerless. And Jesus says that this widow has a problem. She's being oppressed somehow. We don't know what exactly. The Bible doesn't make it clear. But we are clear that there's a problem. This widow is in deep trouble and she can't live with this oppression that's coming her way. And the only one that can help her is this judge. So she comes to the judge. She pleads her case. She tells him that he's the only one that can help her. And the judge says, get out of my court. I don't care about God. I don't respect people. Get lost. So she goes back into her oppression But she knows that this judge is her only hope. So she puts together a strategic plan, which goes something like this. I'm going to become this judge's worst nightmare. I'm going to show up every single day. He may kick me out for a week or two, but I am going to show up so many times that I'm going to grind him down. Her strategic plan was called pestering. Some of you may be familiar with this, or the person next to you may be an expert at this. She's going to pester this guy. So she puts this plan into effect. She goes to him and she says, You have to help me. Provide me with protection. He says, I told you before. I don't care. Get lost. This goes on day after day after day until finally the widow walks in one day and the judge says, you are driving me crazy. He tells an associate, fix her problem. 
Whatever it is, I don't care for crying out loud. Fix her problem. So the strategy worked. And if you don't read any further, you could easily think that Jesus is explaining who we are and who God is. Like God is this person who really doesn't want to bother with penniless, powerless people like you and I. But if you read further in the parable, Jesus actually flips this. And he tells us why he told us this story. And he wants us to know that God is unlike the judge in the story. God's basic inclination is to bless, is to help people. You are totally unlike the widow. You're not powerless. You are not disconnected. You are not some stranger in the court. You are adopted sons and daughters. You can call the judge Abba. You can call the judge Father. I mean, there's no one else on planet Earth that God wants to help more than you. There's nothing in God that would make Him want to withhold something that would be good for you. I mean, when you go to God with a prayer, when you go to God with a concern, He's so glad, He's so happy, He's so inclined to listen, to help. God is for you. And I feel sad for anyone that goes through each day without that knowledge, without that boost in your spirit that reminds you, you know, I'm not alone in this. I'm not swimming upstream with no help from above. God is for me. Now, maybe you're exploring Christianity. We're going to have this on the screen, too, because I know it's hard to see this. But maybe you're exploring Christianity. And last week we looked at this, this little spiritual continuum. And maybe, maybe you're on the left side of the cross. And that's okay. That may be many of you. In fact, it's believed that 25% of the people in this room are exploring Christianity. That's one out of every four. You're checking this church stuff out. You're treading kind of lightly. You're trying to figure out if the puzzle pieces would fit together in a way that would make Christianity believable to you. You hear me talk about Romans 8 verse 31. If God is for us, who can be against us? And it's just kind of theory to you. It may be true. It may not be true. You're just not sure yet. And if you do become a Christian, and my hope is that you do, you accept what Christ did on the cross, and you become a beginning believer. You start actually putting the theory into motion, into action in your life. You test the theory, and you begin to find that it's true. God is for me. I can feel His help. I can feel His support. Now, if you're a growing or intermediate Christian, this is a beautiful thing to watch as Christians mature because they actually begin to understand. It's like, wait a minute. 
in my marriage, in my problems. I don't have to fill my mind with issues of screwing up or shame. I mean, I need to move toward a fix. And God is for me as we try to apply the fix. Now, growing believers start to take comfort from this. God is for my family. God is for my career. God is for me. But if you're not careful, a kind of screwy thing can happen here. And I want to be real frank with you about this. Because lots of growing or intermediate Christians start depending on this God is for me thing, and they tend to mistranslate it a little bit. They start going, so the deal is, God is for my all-American dream. God is for my next promotion. God is for my financial windfall. And you start thinking, God is for this, and God is for that. You start thinking, God is for you and your divine plan to live out a self-centered life. And that's not quite getting it right. It's funny, I was on the Caleb Christian music cruise in February with my son Ethan. We had a blast. We swam constantly, we played basketball, we golfed, we ate like 20 ice creams a day. I mean, breakfast was literally bacon, eggs, ice cream, hash browns, whatever we wanted. There was registrations on board to sign up for the next year's cruise. And it, and it starts coming out of your checking account right then, little bit by month. Well, we were in line one evening for the Chris Tomlin concert. And I was standing next to an older guy and his wife. They were from Missouri. Great people, very nice. We were chatting and he asked me if I had signed up for next year's cruise. And I just told him honestly, I said, you know, I have a grandbaby that lives with me. My daughter's starting Ball State. My business has been slow. I'm kind of concerned about my finances, and I actually don't think that I can swing it. And he looked me in the eye, and he said, son, don't you believe in God? He said, don't you believe that God can make this happen? And I'm thinking, you know, I don't think it's real high on God's priority list that I take a Caribbean cruise where I do nothing but bake in the sun, lay in the hot tub. I watch my boy waste plate after plate after plate of food. When there's children starving in the world, me dying as I speak right now. There's boys and girls being forced into sex trafficking. There's people being killed because they boldly teach the Bible in a country somewhere. I mean, I'm not so sure God is for me in that. That's not quite getting it right. Now, there's this final growth segment of people in the family of God. If we've got our explorers, our beginning believers, our intermediate or growing Christians, then there are folks who 
were Christ-centered. And the way to know if you are on the Christ-centered side is by asking whose program you are asking help for. Because there's two basic programs to life. And the first program is your program. Your program. This is a program that benefits you. You do things. You make decisions based on what you gain out of it. More money, nicer things. Maybe have a clear schedule. You could kick back, just relax. Take off on the weekends. Not have to be bothered by things. Let others give or donate their time or donate money. You know, you get to a certain place, though. It's a certain mile marker on this whole journey here. And you begin to understand that what Christ taught is that somewhere, somewhere in this growth segment here, that we would surrender our program. That we seek the other program, the second program, and that's God's program. God's program. We go, you know what? I am at a certain point of faith in God where I would be interested in what's God's program for my future. What His purpose would be for my life. I mean, I think of Jesus telling some disciples, there's nothing wrong with the fishing business. It's just when you're on my program, you catch bigger fish. I mean, there's a vision in this world that's beyond self-interest. It's, a vi- it's God's vision to redeem and restore a broken world. I mean, some Christians only ever get to the point where they trust God to help them with their own program. And then there are some who cross the line. And they go, okay, God, enough of my program." Enough of me. I'm ready here and now to surrender my agenda for the rest of my life and to do your program. Look at what Paul said. He got to the point where he said, I no longer count my life as dear unto myself. I mean, look at that sentence. It's one of the most powerful single sentences in the New Testament. And it shows that a Christian can grow to the point where you no longer count your life, you no longer count your program as dear unto yourself. Only that I may finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me, the task of testifying to the gospel of God's grace. That's Acts 20, verse 24. I mean, some people think that the biggest chasm would be between beginner, explorers, 
beginner and intermediate. I got messed up there. Uh, let me go back here. Some people think the biggest chasm between these circles, okay, now I'm one, is between explorer and beginning believers. And there's definitely a chasm there because only Christ can bridge that. I mean, you have to cross over through the work of Christ that he done on the cross to get there. So there's definitely a chasm there. Now, some people would say the biggest chasm would, between, would be between beginner and intermediate. And actually, I think when you cross from beginning Christian to growing or intermediate Christian, it almost feels like what happens with an automatic transmission. You're in one gear, then you just kind of go into the next. You just kind of grow into that. Now, I would argue that the biggest chasm really is between here and here. Because this one here is going to cost you something. That one's going to cost you something. You know, I think back to when I became a Christian. It didn't really cost me anything. Maybe a few friends, I guess. But I came into this church with a pile of sin, learned about Christ's work on the cross and how it would clear all of that. Then I learned that through humility and repentance that He will accept me into His family. He will invite me to call Him Father. I learned He will help me. He will give me strength beyond my own. He will guide me to cure my eternity. But where's the costly part of that for me? I mean, what, what am I really giving up in that? It cost Christ a lot. Didn't really cost me much, though. Didn't cost me much to move to the next step of growth. But this step right here cost me something. Cost me a lot. Cost me life as I knew it. You see, not everyone will appreciate you being right there. Because it changes things. You look at what the Apostle Paul said in Philippians 1 verse 21. For me to live is Christ. He doesn't say more money. He doesn't say more pleasure. He says Christ. His purpose for my life. And if it costs me my life, well, and to die is gain. Wow, you know, that one becomes an, an uneasy one, though. That gets a little uncomfortable. You know, no one wants to be faced with having to give something up or to have something taken away from you. I mean, this is where most people stop growing right there. I remember the night on a mission trip I was on where I prayed, I no longer count my life unto myself. I said, God, if you've got a program for me, I am willing to risk everything for it. And I mean, that was so much tougher 
that was so much harder than just accepting Christ into my life. I mean, it was so much tougher than just growing a little bit. It's a defining moment when you move from intermediate to Christ-centered. Did it mean I had everything together? Did it mean I was perfect? No. You heard my selfish aquarium story that I just shared. I am far from perfect. But I am seeking God's program regardless, regardless of the cost. You know, maybe the cost, maybe God's program for you will be some huge change of career or some life-altering thing. But realistically, God probably wants you to just be available for Him to use in everyday situations. God doesn't want money to be the driving motivator for you to do things. He wants you to reach out to people. He wants you to reach out because you have compassion. He wants you to reach out because you care. I mean, your kids' first glimpse of Jesus Christ should be you. The way you walk, the way you talk. Are you serving? Are you on God's program? Are you reaching out to people? Or are you just trying to hurry through the work day so you can get home? Just take it easy. Kick back in the recliner a little bit. Put some steaks on the grill. I mean, think of how many broken people that we come in contact with every single day. I mean, if you're not being challenged, if you are not being challenged, if you're not being made uncomfortable at times, you are not on God's program. You are not. Because God's program will challenge you. It'll challenge you. You know, I remember finding out about a year ago that a guy I knew from a factory that I did service work for was in the hospital, and he was in really bad shape with AIDS. And I'm ashamed to say that I have had a very poor view in my life of alternative lifestyles. And it's something that as I've slowly taken steps across here, God has shaped and He has molded the way I look at things. I mean, God has whispered in my ear, who are you to be judging anyone? What makes you think that you're better than anyone else? Chuck, just love people. All people. And I felt God pulling at me. I felt God telling me to go to the hospital. Grab a Bible and go to the hospital. And I didn't want to go. That didn't really fit my program real well. A little out of my comfort zone for that one. And I'm trying to convince God that I'm not the right guy. I said, send Chris. He's the pastor of your church. He's the one that always has the perfect things to say at the perfect time. Not me. I'm going to screw this up. 
And I was scared. But I knew that God needed me for his program. I was at work. I left. I swung by my house. I grabbed a Bible. I drove to the hospital. I parked. I walked for what seems like miles, praying for God to calm me. took a deep breath and I walked in his room. He was asleep in the bed. He was pale, so skinny and frail looking. It was shocking to me as I walked in. And I thought, why would God send me here? He's asleep. And I saw his hand move. Then I noticed a hand on top of his that was actually causing it to move. It was his mother. And she was leaning down. She was gently rubbing and stroking his hand. We made eye contact, and I saw a mother who was hurting. I mean, I saw a mother that was grieving, and I could only imagine the pain that that woman felt. I introduced myself. We talked, and she told me she was from Kentucky. She was here alone with hardly any money, but she had came to spend the last bit of time that she could with her son. She told me stories about him growing up. She would smile as she remembered some of the stories. She shared with me that she was a Christian and that her faith was the only thing that was getting her through this tough time in her life. I handed her the Bible. She just lit up. She said it would give her something to do as time just slowly ticked away. Now, I remember walking out of the room and just being glad that God used me for his program, which was different than what I thought he was using me for. You know, his program was to bring comfort to a grieving, broken mother. A lady like the oppressed widow from our earlier parable, God was for this lady. God just needed help in implementing his program. Or maybe I needed help in breaking away from mine. God's program challenged me. I did end up getting to speak with that gentleman later in the week. We talked about God. I prayed with him. He thanked me for the Bible and told me his mom had been reading it to him. I did my best to show God's love and to let him know that God was for him. I felt so blessed that God used me for his program. This gentleman died three days later. Friends, you have to realize that you don't start this whole process just to be brought right here. God will keep 
pulling at you. God will keep whispering to you, I have a program. It will honor me. It will help people. It will bring me glory. It is so much more satisfying than your program. might be difficult. It might involve some sacrifice. might be costly. Better things always seem to cost a little more. You can buy a cheap mattress or an expensive one. See which one you sleep better on. And I bet there are people in a crowd this size who are getting a little tired of your program. Because you see it for what it is. It's self-serving. It's about your little white picket fence. And some of you may be thinking, you know, it is time for God's program. It is. But then the minute you say that, you're like, but wait. What if that means, like, big changes in my life? What if it means less cushion? What if it means this? What if it means that? You just fill in the blank. And I want you to know that even if it meant all of that, God is for you. God is for you. Don't think about what you may lose if you change programs. Think about what you'll miss if you don't. You know, this week when uh, Chuck was sharing with me about the two different programs, um, God's program or your program, the image that came to me was that of a crossroad. Today, when you leave, you'll drive your car and you'll come to some crossroad and you'll decide whether you'll go right or left, and it probably won't really matter a whole lot. But the crossroad that you come to when you decide whether or not you'll choose God's program or your own means a whole lot. You know, each and every day, we have a choice. We have a choice that on this day, I'm choosing God's way or this day, I'm choosing my own way. And the choice really is up to you. And the reality is it really doesn't matter how long you've known God. Maybe you've known him your whole life. Maybe you're just checking this God thing out uh, for the first time. It really doesn't matter. But whatever the choice is can take you in a very different direction. It doesn't matter if you're an explorer, and you're not quite to that point of the cross, or you're at a beginner level or intermediate or Christ-centered, every morning you wake up and you decide, am I going God's way at the crossroad or am I going my own way? Is it God's program? Is it my program? You know, today the one who knows you best and loves you most, he wants to meet you in the seat that you're sitting in right now. He wants to remind you that he is head over heels in love with you, that he went to a cross and died upon it.
because of his love for you. And what I think he wants more than anything else, and it was the first big point, he just wants a relationship with you. You don't have to have it all together. You don't have to have everything. You just wake up and say, I'm going with God's program. Now, there are four tables that are around us. They're communion tables. They're not my tables. They're not the jars' tables. They're Jesus' table. And if you already have a relationship with Jesus Christ or today is the first day that you're saying, I'm ready to do that, these tables are open for you. And so when you come to these tables, there'll be a piece of bread and someone will offer it to you. You can tear it off and then you'll dip it into the grape juice and take and eat. And when you do that, that you would be reminded that all of your sins are wiped away. You are forgiven. And what I want to do is just invite you for a moment just to reflect and connect with God. And if there's anything in the way of your life from going down God's program that you confess that and you say, God, I don't want that in the way. I don't want my program anymore. I want yours. And this is the great thing about this is that if you've been going on your program for a long time and it has not been working, it's only one step to take a different road, a different crossroad, and to take God's program. Chuck said it so well. God is with you and God is for you. The Bible says that God is for you. And if God is for you, who can be against you? You know, one day he promises that we will be in eternity with him in heaven. And on that particular day, we won't have little tables with bread and juice. We'll have this huge feast, and there'll be a gigantic party that is going on. And you'll want to be at that party. And the only way you get there, folks, is not in your own program, but it's with God's program. So I'd like you to just take a few moments to quietly reflect and ask God, is there anything in the way of me following your program? And connect with the one who knows you best and loves you most. And maybe today is the first day that you've ever really thought you've been an explorer for a long time. And today's the first day where you're like, you know what? I want it to be God's program. I want him to be Lord of my life. And if that's you, I'll be standing right here at this particular table. And we'll share communion and a prayer with you for the first time. If you've already accepted Christ and you're connected, please go to the other tables. This is just if you're making that first time commitment. And when you're done, I invite you to come back to your seat because we're going to rock it with a way of celebrating just a little piece of what heaven might look like one day as we celebrate our great God. So take a moment right now, reflect to God, what will get you on his program?
Loving God, we uh, want to thank you for being for us. For never walking away, never, never giving up on us. Even when we royally screw up, you still love us. And if we simply turn back to your program, you forgive us, you change us, you make us new. Jesus, today some of us are broken. We're hurting. We're sitting in that seat right now. And we know things are really messed up in our life. And we need your healing. God, others of us today, for the first time, we're really saying, you know what, God, I can't go down my road anymore. I want your program. And I pray that if you're at that exploring stage, that you would be ready to say today, you know, God, I don't have it all together, but as far as I know, I want to go down your path, your program. Give them the strength, God, to come to this table to pray. Holy Spirit, I pray right now that you would be present in this place. That you would move in people's lives. And that you would pour out from heaven your forgiveness, your love, and your grace. And show us right now, God, that you really are for us. Pray this in Jesus.